Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours, coming to you this week from On the Road. In this podcast, we are joined by two of the stellar members of the Full Measure team to talk about some of your favorite stories and ours too. We are on the road in, well, outside of Denver, Colorado. What highway is this, Brian? Uh, 70 West. Okay, 70 West. It's beautiful. Working on stories, researching, and shooting ahead for season seven of Full Measure with Brian Barr, incredible photographer and incredible producer, Daniel Steinberger. Good to be with you, everybody. And I thought since we're in reruns, you should still watch on Sundays because these are rerunning great sh- shows. But I thought we would talk about some of our most interesting or most commented on stories. We're going to go around the car here, go around the circle while we're driving. But first, being in Denver, gosh, we came here a couple of years ago to do a story on legalized marijuana to see how that's going. We're back to do some other stories. and downtown like a lot of places in america i guess like a lot of cities they've really become inundated with homeless and the homeless problem and brian was down there shooting some pictures last night talk about kind of what you saw what your impressions were we uh so there's i was shooting the Capitol, which is in the center of i guess downtown denver and then uh right across the street is a park pretty park it's got in buildings and like you know buildings with columns open air buildings um and then under all of these buildings and then throughout the park was just peppered with homeless people i assume homeless slash uh people are doing drugs uh people screaming and yelling obviously you know fits of mental illness and stuff like that um but it was you know it was dirty with these uh, folks that were just kind of hanging out, you know, sleeping outdoors. There was a few tents, lots of people laying on blankets, lots of people passed out. Uh, uh, fairly large, or, or a lot of um, like corners of the park that smelled a lot like pee, you know, that sort of thing. So uh, I was kind of surprised at the density of, you know, people just kind of hanging out, you know, doing drugs, I guess, living outdoors, that sort of thing down there. Um, but yeah, again, I don't necessarily think that that's unique to Denver. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of it all over the country right now. Well, it makes me think about the whole question of whether homelessness is a problem closely tied to drugs and legal drugs or not. And there are arguments on both sides. We spoke to someone yesterday who said they don't think the legalized marijuana really has anything to do with the homeless slash drug problem you know I would say intuitively there does seem to be a connection but I take their point I don't have any 
hard evidence. I haven't looked at studies on this matter, but they certainly are attracted to cities like this um, that tolerate, I guess, or even provide benefits for the homeless. It seems to attract more instead of really helping resolve the problem. Do you have any thoughts about this, Daniel? I know when you were researching before our trip to Denver, you knew that there was, you know, this is a problem Denver is having as well as many other cities. Um, not really. Okay. <laughs> All right. I have thoughts. Sorry. What are your thoughts, Brian? So I think that, um, you know, in my personal opinion, I think that there's probably an attraction to a city, maybe, for example, like Denver, that has very liberal marijuana laws. And certainly a few people, probably some of the people I went to college with, would consider moving here because, you know, they can be a little bit more free with, you know, smoking weed if they want to smoke some weed. Um, And maybe that also attracts people who, uh, you know, want to do drugs. I, I don't know. It just sounds like it's it's kind of maybe the old man in me it's opening a door to to a few things well and let me say i don't think anyone in this car is anti-legal marijuana or anti-marijuana i don't even know how people in this car feel about that because we haven't really asked that specific question and i'm not sure what my position would be i think there are good arguments on both sides of the issue so a lot of states have legalized recreational marijuana now we'll be talking more about that um, on season seven of Full Measure. We've done a couple of stories in the past, but we'll continue along those lines. But that's one of the reasons we're in Denver. Okay, Daniel Daniel I thought, thought, I thought of something. Of something. <laughs> I would say that the one thing I thought of, just having growing up, and I grew up in New York City um, and saw homelessness like at, at the peak of New York in the 1980s. Um, and I, I, the only thing I'd say is that it's a, it's a problem that continues to persist and has not, you know, it's not new. Um, and maybe, you know, the open marijuana laws, you know, if there is a connection there, maybe that's kind of a new wrinkle to all this. Um, but, it, you know, it continues, you know, New York City cleaned it up, I think, uh, in, the, in the 90s. They cleaned up a lot of the homelessness. And I was there recently, though, and I think, you know, in the last six months, and I think it's sort of started to come back. And, you know, maybe it's related to the pandemic and the economic downturn of the pandemic or maybe it's something else um so it's not a new problem i think and to me it's actually interesting to figure out and learn about what cities are trying to do to combat it um and we had a story on that i think a year or two ago right on full measure um on this in seattle where they've been working really hard on that so uh, it, it's 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 an it's an old age problem for cities across a, across the country well i noticed the same thing too so i also lived in new york city at the height of some of the homeless problem and then so we're talking like you said mid 90s really for me then when I left I still came back to New York City from Washington DC every weekend for a while to anchor the CBS evening news on the weekend and I watched that city change I would never have guessed you could clean up as they say a city that had just also a lot of garbage just was not a great place at the time and I would drive with the taxi drivers and they would tell me, they would say, look, look, they've cleaned up the homeless, they've done this, they've done that, and they credited Giuliani. They kept saying it was the mayor. So I remember thinking it was pretty stunning the taxi drivers were saying that 
one mayor, one administration could make such a difference. I don't know all the steps he took, but I guess it's possible to address it. Yeah, I think I think if I'm not mistaken, they call it like the broken broken window theory, where if there's a broken window, you don't let it just persist; you fix it immediately. And that was what Giuliani was kind of. That's what he pushed hard for when he became mayor of New York. And my husband's um, career law enforcement, he's talked about that a lot, the idea that, and I've heard Brian talk about that before, too, in Baltimore, the idea that if you let a broken window go unrepaired um, in a community or you let, let's extrapolate, small crimes pass unpunished, it only leads to bigger problems and more issues. So that's that's a theory. When we talk about some of our most interesting stories during this podcast i want to let you know that if you're if you want to see them or if you miss them the first time around you can go to cherylackison.com and click the full measure tab and there's all the cover stories that i've organized kind of by topic you can even binge watch i made it easy there because i know the full measure full measure.news site is not easy to search on so you could just go to the cherylackison.com site and do the same thing under the full measure tab very easily Let's start with Brian. I hope you've been thinking about this, Brian. What is a story or a couple of stories that we've done that you feel like the people listening now and your family and friends commented on or had a lot to say about? Uh, The one that jumps out is um, the one we did pretty much, you know, the whole, your whole world now is when, you know, you, you, I did this at the beginning of the pandemic or we did this story in the middle of the pandemic. I remember when the pandemic first started to ramp up and we were shooting stories for the beginning of last season and Cheryl and I and David Bernkoff, another producer, went to uh, Central Virginia and did the rural broadband story. And um, it's not Edward R. Murrow journalism, you know, ivory tower journalism. But it told the story about how uh, they're working very, very hard to bring robust internet signals to very rural sections of this country and something I hadn't given much thought about. What I loved about the story is visually, it, I think it just came together, um, you know, incredibly. And of course, you know, being a photographer, that's something I care more about than the story sometimes. <laughs> Kidding. Um, um, no, you're not. No. But it also is, we, we were given a drone to shoot with this year. It's one of the first stories where we really used the drone, got some really cool aerial footage, uh, and then it was just pretty country. And, you know, the people we talked to were fantastic. And um, and uh, we you, everything in that story, I think, just came together. And I just remember sitting in the edit bay, editing it, and it was an easy edit. And that always tells me that all the elements were there that we needed uh, and uh, um, so that was probably one of the highlights in the beginning of the year. Um, I remember in the beginning of the, or the, probably the end of the summer prior to last season, we went and did a California trip. Uh, and I think California just in and of itself is beautiful. Um, uh, maybe some of the urban areas are not, but just driving around California, uh, and out west is something that us east coasters don't see much of i was surprised that when we went to california you hear about all the problems and they do have their issues high taxes crime in the cities homelessness yada yada but so much of california is not in those cities and it was stunning we drove 
drove and flew pretty much from north all the way to the southern border on that trip. Mm-hmm. And then we did a we went and did a story at a dispensary. Now I'm marijuana marijuana dispensary. Yeah, um, I'm not a pot smoker. I don't have anything against. I'm not against it. Uh, I, I, I really have no opinions about it. Uh, I've certainly you know I was in college like the rest of us. And you know, it, you know, I've I've certainly I've smoked marijuana in the in the past. Sorry, mom. Um, and uh, but I was fascinated to see the business behind it and how uh, how they you know were making joints in this place and 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 how businessy it has become from what I remember to being a very shady. Uh, practice back when I was, you know, in my mid-twenties. Yep, indeed. And we watched Daniel, Brian, and I on that trip. We got invited to some guys that were doing a taste test of marijuana while they did a live podcast. Was it a live podcast? I don't know if anybody was listening. They were sure having a good time in this smoke-filled room. Okay, Daniel, do you have a story you'd like to share? Well, from last season, I think, also in California, we went horseback riding, and I'm all about uh, doing something fun on trips, and uh, the um, U.S. Customs and Border Protection, the Border Patrol folks, uh, took us on horseback to check out the border and some of the more rugged areas along the border and along the beach where they were seeing a lot of people coming, uh, trying to you know infiltrate the country or come come into the country. Um, so I, I enjoyed the horseback riding trip, and I thought that was a visual story as well. Um, and another story that we shot this past spring, which I think resonated with some of my family members, was a story that we shot in Arizona about people um, trying to sell water rights. Um, and it was also a visual story, but I think it, I think it was kind of something that people hadn't heard of, um, and it was interesting, and I kind of think it resonated with people, the concept of you know, can one town... Along the, you know, the, the uh, can one town sell uh, or one uh, company sell water to an, to a town and make money and profit off of the Colorado River? Um, and I think, people, like, I had family members ask me about that story after seeing it, just because um, it was just so interesting. Well, for me, some of the stories that have gotten a lot of remarks have to do with content. Maybe visually, they're not as impressive as these stories we've talked about, some of these sweeping drone shops, shots and beautiful venues we've been to, but just interesting stuff that, that's not being told on the other media. And of course, that's my favorite thing to do. I'll mention two of them briefly. The story I did on Wikipedia and how they have agenda editors pretty much have taken over the site. Doesn't mean you can't find some good information there. I think they're best at stuff like trivia, what was every episode of some TV show about, but unfortunately on political topics or topics that impact a corporation's bottom line, you know, we described how kind of got on the inside agenda editors under anonymous pseudonyms can control pages. Certainly if you post something contrary to what they want other people to read, it'll disappear. We talked about that whole fascinating process. And I'm not sure people know, but Wikipedia co-founder Larry Sanger, um, who's working on some other ventures now, left Wikipedia some years ago for the very reason that it had become so controlled and taken over by these agenda editors and interests that he just thought it, you know, was not 
a worthwhile thing anymore. And again, he's working on some new ideas to try to make, I, I guess you would say the internet freer, more open and less controlled. And it's a very vexing problem because political and corporate interests seem to figure out ways to co-opt pretty much every information source that, that emerges out there. And then one other I'll mention, I love the story that we did on fake science, that's what I called it. We interviewed um, the former chief editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, Dr. Marcia Angel of Harvard, who along with others in this field have made the shocking proclamation that much of the peer-reviewed published science in these journals or that we see today, these studies that are out there, are not to be believed because they've been so co-opted by the pharmaceutical industry and other special interests. So she described from the inside the process of how studies are skewed, how information from the studies is slanted, so you can't really believe necessarily what's coming out. Dr. Richard Horton of Lancet, who runs that journal, said the same thing. And I think that's news and information people don't know. Certainly doctors don't know. They rely on these medical journals for a lot of their information without understanding that much of what's in it is prompted by propaganda or basically an ad campaign from the companies that are making the medicines and the vaccines. So those are some of my favorites. And we also talked to a few people this year, again, not visually explosive stories, but at least in the beginning of this year that we talked to a few people that you didn't see anywhere else. Uh, like Dr. Jay Bhattacharya. Am I saying that right? Bhattacharya, I think. Bhattacharya. So uh, he was one of the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration, correct? And uh, had a very measured and skeptical view of how our countries and other countries were reacting to the pandemic in the beginning. Uh, certainly his voice was not heard by a lot of news outlets. We... we, we uh, we talked to him, I think, twice, um, over, you know, about his observations about how we were moving forward and how we maybe were making mistakes or, in his view, were making mistakes handling this pandemic. Um, uh, there's somebody else I'm thinking and I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting. Well, I think one story that we did, actually, we did it twice during the pandemic was, this probably isn't who you're thinking of, but Dr. John Dye, the chief virologist at Fort Detrick. Yes. U.S. AMRA, the U.S. Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Disease. I think there's nobody more plugged in than he is on a lot of these issues. Very pro-vaccine guy. I think he's worked on the vaccines for, in a, at least a general sense for Ebola and COVID and other things. But such a great information source. And people loved getting just the straight talk from him. That's why I went back to him some months later. What he said in the beginning of the pandemic when we interviewed him proved to be more on target and accurate in hindsight than a lot of what we heard in the media and from other public health officials. So that was super informative. The information he gave us still stands today. We not only talked about COVID and RNA vaccines and China's involvement, but we talked about natural immunity and just the whole range of virology questions when it comes to this. Congressman Massey. Congressman Massey. Oh yeah, that was a good one. Uh, Republican Congressman Massey, who caught CDC, I mean, just still bowls me over, purposely giving false information about effectiveness of COVID vaccine in people who've already had COVID. 
they falsely misrepresented the initial studies as having concluded that there was a benefit when the opposite was true. And even when Congressman Massey called them on it at CDC, got their chief scientists and officials to acknowledge the mistake and had them promise that they would fix it. He went back a month later. They hadn't done anything about it. And they had continued to instruct doctors in the false information that the vaccine was proven effective for people who'd had COVID. Since then, a big study came out saying the same thing. It's not effective for people who've had COVID. There's no reason for them to get it. But CDC is still pushing the COVID vaccine for people who've already had COVID. We're gonna take a short break and have some more stories from the car here in Colorado. Do you have something to say and wanna make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. We are back from the Denver, Colorado area. Brian Barr, photographer, Daniel Steinberger, producer, and me, Cheryl Ackeson, talking about some of our most notable stories that stick out in our mind or that we've gotten a lot of comments on. Daniel, what do you have? Yeah, I, um, two seasons ago, I, I, I remember going with you to Puerto Rico and a couple of stories that stuck out in my mind from that trip. Um, one was just on like, a few, I would think it was two or three years after the hurricane um, and things had, were still, it was still, there were a lot of problems still. Um, blue tarps on houses. We went and visit, we went into some small village and the house was basically just decimated and the woman was still living there. Um, and so meeting people like that, who's, you know, who's, who are facing hardship. And, 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 and one thing about her story was that she was really, she was trying to get help from FEMA and it just, and it just never could happen for her. Um, and so I, I always enjoy meeting people, uh, not enjoy, but I, I always find it interesting meeting people like that. Well, talk about how much money, you don't have to have the exact figures, but how much money we had put toward hurricane relief only to find out people like her couldn't get any. Yeah, I think it was, I don't recall the exact figure, but I think, you know, they were thinking that it would cost like up to $90 billion, I think, to, for, to, um, to help repair Puerto Rico. And when we were reporting at it, it was like in the 20 or $25 million billion range that they had actually gotten. Um, so that, you know, that was, that was eye-opening. And then the other fun thing on that trip was... I always like going on, on like boats and we went again with uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection um, who are out there patrolling around Puerto Rico, which is sort of um, a, a drug hub. So if you, if you can get through, if you can get your drugs into Puerto Rico, you're basically in the clear to get it into the U.S. Um, and so, I, you know, it's always fun to kind of go on a big power boat and get out in the water and have your hair blowing the wind and that kind of thing. So I always enjoy fun, fun stuff like that. Yeah, with Puerto Rico, the eye-opening thing for me was, and this is true of other disasters I've covered when I was at CBS as well, all this tax money pours into relief. And then you come to find out a year or two later that almost none of it has either A, gone out the door, or B, gotten to the people that you thought were going to get it. 
it's, it's really shocking. And that was true in Puerto Rico. I guess my last story for this podcast that I'll mention that I have to put right up there with one that people really appreciated was the story about the former U.S. government witness expert, a top medical doctor in pediatric neurology named Dr. Andrew Zimmerman, who some years ago was serving as the expert witness on behalf of the U.S. government defending vaccine companies in the U.S. government against vaccine autism injuries. So the government, in our case, and I don't know if people know this in this country, the way the system has been organized since late 80s, I believe, the Department of Justice defends the vaccine makers in a special vaccine court when there are vaccine injuries. And when the vaccine autism injuries were thousands and thousands of them getting filed in court, Dr. Andrew Zimmerman was working on behalf of the government to say vaccines and autism aren't linked. Well, this should have made international headlines and for reasons of control of information, I guess it never will, but we reported it on full measure that he signed a sworn affidavit all these years later that said back in the day when he was doing this expert witness work in the early 2000s, he concluded based on advances in science and information that vaccines can cause autism after all in some exceptional cases. He's a very pro-vaccine guy. He's the government's expert witness on this topic, and he sees through the science that this can happen. And so according to his sworn affidavit, he informs the Justice Department as their expert witness, listen, in some instances, these cases that we're defending, they may actually be linked. And in fact, during this time period, the government secretly settled a major case and acknowledged that vaccines were connected to autism and the damage of one child named Hannah Poling. And then they sealed that, made it confidential so no other parents would know and continued to tell other parents that they were crazy to think there was a connection. So this is huge news. He goes on to say in his sworn affidavit that after he informed the Department of Justice that vaccines can cause autism after all, they fired him as their expert witness and never let him testify again in court. And then he says, went on to misrepresent his opinion in subsequent cases, falsely telling the judge that it was his opinion that vaccines and autism can't be connected. So again, this is huge news that should have made international headlines around the world. And people were surprised to hear about it also in that story. I talked to former Democrat and current and Republican members of Congress who each gave chapter and verse about how they're not permitted to hold hearings on this topic, how this information is controlled by pharmaceutical interests, how what goes on on Capitol Hill, the hearings that happen and don't happen are largely controlled. So I think a lot of people found that very, very eye-opening. Brian, do you have a final story or note? Um, the, the One of the best things about, one of the many great things about this job is that it always takes me to really different places and it's it's uh not rare that i find myself in the back of a u.s military helicopter a customs and border protection helicopter taking pictures of the border wall or like daniel said in the in the bow of a of a a fast boat you know in in the caribbean i guess is that where uh, puerto rico is Um, so it, uh, I just think as this, and as of, and right now, as a matter of fact, we're driving through, uh, the mountains in Colorado and I'm working very, very hard to keep the car on the road because 
there's so much to look at. So it's pretty. So if there's anything that I will always remember from these past six seasons of Full Measure is all the places that I've been able to go and all the people I've been able to meet, especially with the people I'm with, Cheryl Atkinson, Daniel. Um, What else? You know, I think the other great thing about Full Measure and and working with Cheryl is that she actually holds uh, some of the politicians accountable. And so... Um, in the last year, we've done a lot of interviews, sit-down interviews with members of Congress, um, and which I don't think you see a lot elsewhere. Not, there are not a lot of like face-to-face sit-down interviews um, on most news channels anymore. Um, and also, it was the end of last season, we sat down with President Trump, um, and she, you know, we had a, a half an hour with him or so, and asked every question in the news and things that were not in the news. Um, and it's always fun to, you know, go to the halls of power in the White House and in the Congress and just kind of see our government working or not working, depending on your perspective, um, and, and trying to at least get answers from the people in power. And so, you know, I, I think that still is one of the, the highest callings in journalism is just keeping uh, politicians, um, you know, asking them the tough questions and holding them accountable. Well, I know people the last few years at least when pretty much only thing on some news channels were the same two or three stories over and over again, and they pretty much had to do with Donald Trump and something that was or wasn't happening. And I think that people were feeling like they were missing what else was going on in the world. But on Full Measure, we had all those stories. We were in Russia and the United Kingdom and Ukraine and Korea and Singapore and the Philippines and you name it doing stories that have to do with the United States, with us right here, as well as our domestic stories. And then we were all over the country doing domestic stories that had nothing to do with politics or what was going on in Washington, D.C., as well as our political stories. So you could you could actually feel like you were getting maybe news more the old-fashioned way, what you saw prior to 2016 more of, just a wide variety of topics that were going on. Um, so I think that's something really important that we've done. We're going to continue doing in season seven. We have some terrific stories. I know you're going to love that we're already researching. So thank you for listening today. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Brian. And as Cheryl said at the top of the podcast, if you haven't seen the stories that we're mentioning, um, go on to fullmeasure.news or her website, CherylAggison.com. You'll find all the stories. They're still all really newsworthy stories there. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I hope you'll check out Full Measure every Sunday throughout the summer. We'll be back with a new and fresh season seven, our seventh year, beginning in September. I hope you'll check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast. Subscribe to both of them. Leave a good review. Share them with your friends. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, 
I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today.